Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Well, right before Easter, uh, we finished up uh, a series entitled The Seven Deadly Sins. We talked about overcoming all the, the biggies like pride, envy, greed, gluttony, anger, sloth, and lust. And today, as I had told you, I'm tacking on a bonus sermon. Who enjoys a bonus? That's right. You're getting a bonus sermon today. And uh, then we're going to wrap up our topic here of kind of these these seven deadly sins, uh, our heaven and hell series. They all kind of kind of weave themselves together. But uh, I want to I want to add this one sermon on this subject of sin talking about a, a sin that is just so huge that the Bible refers to it as the unpardonable sin. That's right, there is a sin that is absolutely so abominable that Jesus said, if you commit this sin, you will not enter heaven. Straight to hell, don't pass go, don't collect $200. I mean, it is over. That's a big sin. And I'm going to just start off this morning by sharing with you. Some of you uh, may be familiar with this uh, message. Some of you may be not. But I'm going to reveal to you what this horrible, horrible, unforgivable sin is right off the bat. Are you listening? Here it is. Saying anything bad about your pastor. (laughs) Okay, I'm just kidding. That's not it. But I am curious, could I see your hand if you're actually relieved that that's not it? (laughs) Ah, okay, I was just kind of curious who's out there. The unpardonable sin is traced back to a scripture that is found in the 12th chapter of Matthew where Jesus is basically saying to us, he's saying that all sins can be forgiven except for one, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So here's how it actually reads. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. So what we're going to look at today is what is this unpardonable sin? What is? What do we have to do to be uh, blasphemous of the Holy Spirit. You know, most people read that, they just kind of start scratching their head. You know, what does that mean? Or, man, what, what if I've already committed the unpardonable sin and I don't even realize it? And there's no hope for me now. Anyone ever wondered that before? You know, I have. I grew up in Pentecostal churches, in Assembly of God churches. Man, I heard some uh, sermons on this in my teenage years, like to scared me to death. Because how many of you grew up in church and when you were kids, you played church once in a while? Anyone ever play church? We would play church. And we had a gal in our church that would, I mean, almost like clockwork every Sunday morning. Man, she'd come firing up out of her seat right about at all the time. And man, she'd be tearing back and forth. And I mean, raising a roof. And sometimes when we played church, I would be her. And I was kind of making fun. You know, I'm just a kid. 
Well, then we fast forward. I was like maybe in eighth, seventh, eighth grade or something. I hear this sermon on blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, I thought I was done for. Because, I mean, all those thoughts came rushing. Me. Oh, man, remember when you were making fun of that? I, I bet you committed the unpardonable sin. There's no hope for you. I mean, it scared the daylights out of me. But this morning, I want us to look at this verse of Scripture that talks about how we overcome or do not succumb to this sin. And the two goals of this bonus sermon today is going to be, one, you can leave here with a clear understanding of what the unpardonable sin is. And you'll secondly, you'll leave here with a clear understanding of whether you have committed that or not. The verse that we're going to look at closely, another pretty famous verse in the Bible, Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This one simple verse tells us that we all have the capability of falling into an unpardonable sin, but we all have the capability of choosing not to fall into it. So we're going to break this verse down a little, kind of a, a word at a time. One key word in this verse would be, of course, the word sin. We've been talking about this word for the last couple months, and the little, literal meaning of the word sin in biblical terms means missing the mark. Missing the mark. It's kind of like if God were to hold up this big target and tell you, say, okay, go ahead now and shoot for the bullseye. If you hit it right in the center of the bullseye, that's the perfection you need. And so you aim for it but you always seem to kind of miss the target just a little bit. Maybe a little low, high, a little off to the side. Close, but never perfection. You see, sin is when we miss the mark that God has set for us. It means to miss out and even go against what is God's best for our lives. When you look at that word sin, do you notice what's right in the middle of that word? A big old I, right? It's sin when we decide that I will do my own thing. God's got a plan for me, but I am going to follow my own plan. God has a purpose for me, but I've got my own plan. And all of us at different times in our lives have had some serious I problems, right? We've all had them. We've all made choices. We're going to do our own thing. And then we miss out on God's best for our life, and we kind of get off course. We miss the mark. That's what sin is. The stark reality is that every one of us have sinned. I've sinned, you sinned, everybody has sinned. So that being the truth, here's the problem. The big problem is that for all of us, uh, this next word in that verse is the word wages. Wages becomes a problem for us. Now, normally, wages are a good thing, right? When we hear the word, who wants wages? Oh, yeah, I want wages. This verse tells us pretty plainly there are wages that we'll receive for our sins. The word wage, it means you have earned something, right? You know, let's say you need a little uh, extra money to subsidize your living. You go and get a little part-time job, wherever. Maybe you go to Starbucks, get a part-time job, pouring coffee. Ten bucks an hour. Ten bucks an hour sounds like a lot for pouring coffee, doesn't it? But let me tell you, 
when there are suckers like you and me that pay three and four bucks a cup, they can afford it. So anyway, you work your 10 hours, you figure your paycheck, you say, well, I've worked 10 hours, I get $10 an hour, I'm going to get 100 bucks. But you get your check, and your check is only $73, and you just scratch your head, but that's how it works in this world, right? Some of it doesn't show up. That's your wage. What you got there, that's 73, that was your wage. They didn't just give you that money because you're a nice person, right? You had to earn it. There was a cause and effect relationship because you worked, you received the effect that was your paycheck, your wage. That's what we're talking about here. When we sin, there are wages that we earn. There are consequences to our sins. And notice, God does not cause the consequences. We cause them. And they're not just everyday consequences, but they are eternal consequences. It says the wages of sin is... That's pretty final. That's pretty eternal, isn't it? Now, when the Bible uses the word death here, it's not, it's not just talking about a physical death, although there's going to be a physical death that will come. In fact, unless Jesus comes pretty soon, we're all going to die a physical death at some point. I saw some recent statistics that show, on average, 10 out of every 10 people will die. It's amazing. On a side note, 9 out of 10 dentists prefer crests, but all 10 of them will die with or without their teeth. It's a fact. So this verse is not simply pointing out the fact that we're all going to die. It's talking about a separation. There's a separation that occurs at death when our eternal soul separates from these old physical bodies. This verse in, of Scripture in Romans 6.23, it's telling us that there is a wage that comes from sin which leads to this separation. We live in a world, though, that is absolutely confused and clueless for the most part, trying to figure out what happens when we die. I mean, we have got a world full of people that don't have a clue. I've got a video that was taken on one of our college campuses, and I think this is a, a, a perfectly accurate slice of Americana in the society in which we live. Roll that, guys. What happens to you when you die? I don't know. Oh, that's a tough question. What happens to you when you die? <laughs> um. I don't know, and um, I'll just find out when I get there. I can't say what happens to you when you die because I haven't died yet. They bury you. I don't think I have a concise answer. It's not too bad. I don't think I'm ready to say I know what happens when I die. I kind of think that's something that you kind of have to admit you don't know before you... I don't know why you're alive. I guess you can come back in as a ghost or spirit. Your energy transforms to another being, whether that's a religious or just physical, I don't know. I would actually haunt people I didn't like. Um. What happens to you when you die? Mm. Nothing. I think that's it. You just die. That's the end of it. I'm not sure. You just disappear. So there's no place your soul goes or anything like that? No. I, I can't really say I believe in a soul. So, no. I think that's pretty much the end of it. So You just disappear? Well, your body does. I mean, I don't have a soul or anything like that. Any, you know, 
life after death or whatever. I don't know about anything like that. But well, when you die, uh, you're just pretty much an invisible body in the sky. I'd like to believe that you go somewhere nice, depending on how nice you were. How do you know this? I don't know this, personally. That's just something I feel. How do you know this? How do you know, do know this? Yeah. Uh, I don't know this. I don't know this. But everybody says that, like, you know, you go up to the clouds, people playing angels, and then you go down low where, you know, you have to, you know, pitch 4K and, you know, the devil's out there. I don't believe all that stuff. Well, I don't really believe much in heaven or hell or anything like that. I just, I really don't know. What's up with the harps, guys? I mean, people actually believe that stuff. What happens to you when you die? That's a good question. Uh, I believe that your spirit goes up to heaven. Heaven or hell? How's that? How do you know this? I do not know this for sure. How do you know that? I don't know. I'm assuming. I have faith. <laughs> I don't hurt people. I don't do bad stuff. So hopefully I'll go to heaven. Hopefully I'll go to heaven. It's a feeling, you know, that you just believe righteous people succeed and bad people don't succeed. If you've lived a, a, a good life, a righteous life, then you go to heaven. What determines whether or not you're righteous versus bad? Um, maybe uh, it's that feeling like, like when you do something that you shouldn't have done, you know? So who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? It's not for me to decide. So who decides? I think you kind of decide. What happens to you when you die? You either go to heaven or hell. You either go to heaven or somewhere else which is no heaven. I don't know if there's hell, but uh, probably. You either go to heaven or hell, depending upon um, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life. There's a lot of people that don't know what to expect, huh? Well, there was one young man there who was completely confused, but he had some truth and didn't know the truth. She asked him, who will determine whether you go to heaven or hell? And he just said, you will. Well, he was completely right, wasn't he? But people are, are just confused. And who is the author of confusion? We know who that is. So here's basically what happens. Sin separates us from God. God is on this side of the equation. And then there's this big chasm of sin in between us. And we're, we're over here on the other side. So the consequences of our sin is that if we're separated from God in this life, we're going to be separated from Him throughout eternity. I don't think the Bible can be any clearer about that point. If we die on this side of the equation, we're going to be separated from God for eternity. Now that is not good news, and that is why so many people deny the existence of hell. Because people like to, they don't want to accept bad news. They'd rather act like it doesn't exist, right? Which is really ironic because 80% of the American public, according to polls, they have no problem believing in heaven. Less than 50% believe in hell. So people are willing to believe something that sounds good, but they're not willing to believe something that sounds bad, right? Here's bad news for those people. The existence of hell has absolutely nothing to do with whether you choose to believe it's real or not. Jesus certainly didn't have a problem believing in it, right? He said it was a dark place of torment, gnashing of teeth, spent a good part of his entire ministry warning people about hell because he knew his father, his father's will that was, was that no one would go there. You know, so then 
that often bodes the question with a lot of people, well, why would a loving God send anyone to hell? And the answer to that question is he doesn't. We do that all by ourselves. The consequences are these wages of us choosing to sin. It separates us from God. God, in fact, didn't even create hell for any of us. It was created for Satan and his demons. God never intended for any of us to be in hell. He doesn't want us to be there. So if you ever see a person in hell, you can be sure, sure of two things. One, they're trespassing. And secondly, apparently you are too. Not supposed to be there. God's intent is that all of us would have a relationship with Him. But because we choose to go our own way, sometimes we condemn ourselves. So unless we deal with this separation between God and us while we are still living and breathing here on earth, we will never see the gates of heaven. So that being the case, the only unpardonable sin is rejecting God's plan of salvation through His Son Jesus. He sent His Holy Spirit to draw us close to Him. Can we agree on that? One of the Holy Spirit's main job is for us to feel that presence and to draw us towards God. We blaspheme that Spirit by rejecting it. Acting like it doesn't even exist. It all comes down to which side of the equation are we on? Are we very distant from God, separated by sin in our life? Or have you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, which brings you across that bridge that Jesus created for us? How do we know for sure if we're going to heaven? I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who are kind of confused on that issue also. But God's Word tells us that we can know for sure. Even, even though 80% of Americans believe in heaven, a lot of them are not quite sure how to get there. They just are believing and hoping it's there. Probably the most common understanding is that somehow we have to build a bridge between us and God. We've got to build this bridge, and we do that by doing good things in our life. That's how we build that bridge. You know, so if I, if I build this bridge of good works, if I do enough stuff and I treat people nice and, you know, I don't cuss and swear too much, if I forgive other people most of the time, if I listen to my parents once in a while, hello? Hello? I listen to the preacher once in a while. You know, if we do all of these things, you know, maybe, maybe somehow I can bridge this gap because I've done all these good things in my life. The problem with that method is this. If you're going to, build a, the, if you're going to uh, bridge this gap to God by doing good things, you've got to be 100% perfect. Perfection from the time you were born till the day you die. So I think for most of us, that's too late. That's impossible at this point. We've already sinned. We've all messed up at some point in our life or many points in our life. How are we going to get to heaven? 
The best answer is right here in our verse today. And the really great thing about this particular verse is the punctuation that's in it. It has a comma, not just a period. That's a good thing. In other words, if this verse just said, the wages of sin is death, period. And that was the end of it. Boy, we all could go home today feeling pretty depressed. However, fortunately for us, there is a comma after that word death, which is followed by what I think is one of the greatest buts in the Bible. B-U-T. It says but, which means there, there's some more coming. There's something else coming. There's this gift of eternal life from God. It's a gift that only God can give, and the gift is this bridging of this gap between us and our sin and God the Father. Theologically speaking, the gift is called grace. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace that you are saved, right? You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't pay enough money for it. You can only receive this gift from God, and He wants to give it to you. That's the great news. This gift includes eternal life. What gets better than that, right? But the question has to be answered, how do we receive this gift? It usually it comes in a, an unusually shaped package. The package is shaped like a cross, contains the word Jesus. God's gift to us to bridge this gap between Himself and us comes in the person of Jesus Christ whose death on a cross bridged the gap. That became the bridge. If you can picture Jesus hanging on that cross, one arm stretched out toward heaven, another hand reaching down to us, He became the bridge between God and us. But you still ask, well, you know, how, how does it happen? The answer is you can find it in two more words within this verse, the words Christ and Lord. And I just throw this in. Christ is not Jesus' last name. You all know that, right? Mr. and Mrs. Christ didn't have a baby and name him Jesus. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Christ is his title. It's his title, which means Messiah. Christ means the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. So if we're going to be completely grammatically correct all the time, we would say Jesus, the Christ, or Jesus, the Messiah, because he is our Messiah. What does Messiah mean? That word means redeemer. A redeemer is someone who purchases, purchases our way out of a situation that we can't get ourselves out of. It was originally a slave term, being redeemed. You know, we are all imperfect. We're all stuck in our sins over on this side of the equation, on this side of the bridge. So what Jesus does is he pays our way out of slavery so we can have relationship with God the Father. He pays our way out. Jesus pays for our freedom. That's why he went to the cross willingly. He was paying for our freedom. Now, since this gift has already been paid for, that's where you sometimes hear the phrase, salvation is a free gift from God. And that is true. It is free, right? But free does not mean it was cheap. You with me? In other words, tomorrow, if somebody were to just give you a Rolls Royce, the fact that it was free, does that mean you're driving around in a cheap car? How much was that car? Nothing. 
Oh, that's a cheap car. That's not how it would work, is it? It's like, wow, how did that guy get that? Man, that's what the world ought to say about us as Christians. Wow, how did they get what, he, what they've got? And then we tell them, it's, it's free, it's been paid for, but it's not cheap. Opens up the door. So when we receive this gift, we acknowledge that He is Lord. Lord means leader. Sometimes we accept Jesus Christ with our mouth, but we don't follow. Anyone here ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll bet you we've all done that at times in our life. We've asked God into our heart. We say, Lord, I want you to be my Redeemer. It's just that right now, I'm not really going to follow. I'm still going to do my own thing. That doesn't work. God's grace does not cover our sins if we are not attempting to follow. We don't have to be perfect. God's grace covers us there. We don't have to be perfect. We'll mess up sometimes, but we do have to be trying to follow. That's the key to the whole thing. Are we trying to follow? Or has it just been kind of lip service? So the only sin that can never be pardoned is our refusal to accept God's gift of Jesus to us. That sin is unpardonable. If you thought it was something else, that's not it. As long as you're still alive and breathing, you have a choice to accept this gift from God. The unpardonable sin is when we say no to Jesus and we insist on living our life the way we want to. Now, you might be thinking, uh-oh, I've done that a thousand times in my life. And the truth is, that may be so. But it doesn't become an unpardonable sin until you have breathed your last breath and continued to reject the gift of Jesus Christ. Then, there's no pardon from that. You've blasphemed God's Spirit that was trying to draw you in, trying to love you and draw you close, and you just shoved it away. So when we reject God and we willingly harbor sin in our life, the Bible tells us that we become enemies of God. Boy, that is strong wordage right there. And, and I, There's a lot of things I don't want to be in this world, and an enemy of God has got to be right up there at the top. That doesn't make good sense. I would much rather be a friend of God. Being an enemy, setting yourself up as an enemy to the most powerful being in existence is just plain dumb. Say that with me. Dumb. It really is, isn't it? If we have a choice, rejecting, rejecting that relationship, man, it doesn't, even, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's dumb on our part. But, it is true, by rejecting Jesus Christ, we become enemies of God. But the good news is this. Man, you can very, very quickly become a friend of God. All through the gift of Jesus. Uh, there's three words I want to give you this morning that help you move from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. And I think it's safe to say if we have the choice, we'd all like to be on the friendly side. Amen? We all agree on that this morning? The first word I want to share is the word turn. 
This is what, when you come to the realization in your life that you have actually been walking away from God. You haven't been walking toward God. And you make a choice. You make a choice uh, in your own thinking, a conscious choice. I have got to turn. I've got to turn from the way I've been living my life. And so you change your course and you start heading back towards God. The Bible has a word for this act of turning. It's called repentance. It's where you tell God, God, I'm, I, am, I am sorry for sinning against you. I realize I'm the one who's been creating this chasm between us by walking away from you, and, and I'm sorry. In fact, Romans 2.4 tells us that the main reason that God doesn't just strike us down when we sin against Him is that He loves us so much he keeps giving us opportunities. How many of you are thankful for multiple opportunities that God has given you in your life? Man, I, I'm so thankful. But the day will come when opportunity will run out. We need to make a choice. When? Now. Because none of us are guaranteed our next breath. We have, we have to make that choice. Romans 2.4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? The time to turn is when? Right now. You know, some people think that before they turn back to God, they first have to kind of get themselves all cleaned up so they look a little more presentable. The truth is that the first thing you need to do is turn. Because as long as you're going in the wrong direction, it doesn't make any difference how many other steps you take because until you turn, you're still going to be going in the wrong direction, right? God doesn't expect you to be perfect when you turn. He just wants you to turn. That's the good news. And here's some great news. No matter how far you have wandered from God, if you'll turn, it's only one step back to Him. It happens in an instant. A lot of times people, you know, they run and they run from God until they feel so incredibly distant from Him. They think there's no hope in building a relationship. They have ran so far. They feel like God is thousands of miles away. The thing is, if they would just make that choice to turn, they would realize He's standing right behind them. He's been right behind them the whole way, just hoping that they'll make a choice to turn. And when you make that choice to turn, you're telling God you've decided to trust Him with your life. You're going to stop doing things your way. You're going to start doing things His way. You're going to trust Him. And that's the second word that I would give us that turns us from enemies of God into friends of God is this word, trust. You know, in essence, you're saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust this bridge that you have provided between me and God. And trusting that bridge, that, that it's going to hold you in your relationship. We have faith in this bridge of Jesus. We have faith that God has forgiven us of our sins. And not, we have faith that now we, we hold on to this promise of eternal life. You know, some people call that blind faith. They will make fun of Christians in our faith. They say, man, that is just absolutely blind faith. It's not blind at all. In fact, it requires 
incredible vision to see and trust the only one who can save us and give us eternal life. That takes a lot of vision, not blind faith. Some people just don't understand that Jesus has already paid the price for us. We just have to accept it. You know, Jesus, he, liked, he loved to speak in parables. You know, he, he knew that people, if they t- tell a little story that people can relate to, they'll, they'll kind of grasp onto it. So I'm going to tell you, uh, I made up a little parable, okay? I'm going to tell you that kind of illustrates this point. Now, let's say it's kind of late one night, and you are returning to your house from the other side of San Antonio because you went to the other side of San Antonio to the Teen Challenge Center to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those men and women who desperately need to hear it. Let's say you did that, okay? And now you're coming home and you're driving down Green Mountain Road over here. And all of a sudden you realize you're almost 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Probably because you, you love and miss your wife so much, you just can't wait to see her face. That's probably why you're speeding. And wouldn't you know, you're driving, and a Bear County cop happens to be running radar right on that Green Mountain Road. They're never on Green Mountain Road, but there he is. And he just pulls you over, and, and he, let's say he gives you a ticket for, oh, I don't know, let's say $240. You say, that could never happen. It can happen. (laughs) It can happen. I'm not going to name names. I'm just telling you it can happen. And so your day in court comes, and you decide, I'm going to go talk to the judge. Because when he finds out, you know, what I was doing, he'll think, what a wonderful person I am, and he will just dismiss the whole thing. And so you go to court, and you're telling your story. But you see that cop that gave you the ticket, he's standing there kind of shaking his head. And you think to yourself, this is not going well. And sure enough, the judge, he orders you to pay the $240. But then as you go to pay the clerk, this cop that gave you the ticket, he takes the ticket right out of your hand and says, you know what, I know you're guilty, but I'm going to pay this for you. Wouldn't that be great if something like that happened? That's exactly what Jesus did for us, right? But in this little story I just told you, this is just an earthly illustration. And I would tell you that if Jesus were the cop that gave you the ticket, it might end like that. But I will tell you if it was anybody other than Jesus that gave you that ticket, you're going to pay that 240 bucks. (laughs) That's how that's going to play out. But, But believe me when I say that Jesus has in fact, he has paid the price for our sins if we'll just trust in him. And follow him. And your decision to trust God, it doesn't have to be some big, huge emotional scene, you know. It's like, well, I don't know if I've accepted him or not. I mean, I didn't experience some huge, giant sea of emotion. C.S. Lewis, who was one of the great Christian authors of the last century, he said he gave a testimony of his conversion experience. He said one day he was just walking through the park, kind of thinking about what he had been reading in the Bible about Jesus and his death and resurrection and the and weighing out these issues of sin and hope and eternal life and all of these things. 
And he said, as he was walking, he just made a conscious choice and he said these words out loud. He said, Jesus, I choose to believe in you. You know, there's a lot of things in this world we can believe in, right? Most of them are pure garbage, but we can believe in them if we want. And he just came to this choice, walking through the park. He said, nope, I've weighed it all out. And here's what I've decided. Jesus, I'm going to believe in you. And that's how it happened. You know, sometimes when we come to Christ, there might be a lot of emotion. But in the case of C.S. Lewis, hardly any. He just made an intellectual choice from kind of his gut feeling that, you know what, I've been reading this and I think it's true. And I'm going to make a choice to believe it. Give my life to, dedicate my life to him. So you don't have to be waiting for some ocean of emotion to receive Jesus as Lord, as, as Savior, before you decide you can trust in him. It's really just a decision on your part. Someone said this, and it's completely true. Christianity is not about a feeling. Christianity is all about a choice. That's the bottom line. It's not about a feeling. It's about making a choice. And that brings us to the third word that separates us from being an enemy of God to a friend of God, and that is that word, follow. We have to turn, we have to trust, but if that's all we do, we fall short because we have to follow. We turn, we trust, and then we follow. So that's the real question of the day. Are you following Jesus? It's not a trick question. This is very simple. Are you following Jesus? It's like someone comes up to you and says, hey, are you married? You don't have to stumble around trying to figure out, trying to remember, you know, well, let's see. I, I think I am. I got a wife and kids at home. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm married. Nobody does that, right? You can answer right off the bat. Are you married? Yes or no? I mean, if you don't know for sure, just ask your wife and she'll set you straight real quick. Yes, you are married. She'll remind you real fast. If you want people to squirm a little bit, I'm telling you, just ask them, are you a follower of Jesus? Boy, I tell you, that makes people squirm. And sometimes they'll start stammering around. Well, yeah, I think I am. I, you know, I don't beat my wife and kids, and you know, I don't steal much. And uh, I go to church sometimes. Sometimes I even put money in the offering thing as it goes. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm a follower of Jesus. Answering that question ought to be as simple as answering, are you married? Yes or no? You don't have to think about it. So the question this morning is, are you following Jesus? If you are, you're never going to have to worry about committing the unpardonable sin because as long as you'll just keep following, you don't even have to be perfect if you'll just keep following His grace covers you. And you're going to inherit that eternal life that He's promised simply because you haven't given up trying to follow. That's the key. Just keep following. Life gets tough. Everything gets bleak. Just keep following. That's the key to success. Don't stop following. You know, maybe... Maybe today, right off the bat, you know the answer to that question. And maybe the answer to that question, are you following Jesus? Maybe the answer is no. I haven't been following Jesus. I've just kind of been doing what I want to do, and 
That's what I've been doing. So today, God is standing right here in front of us. He's right here in our midst. He's asking if you'll accept this, this free gift. And heaven and hell literally are hanging in the balance of whether you choose to accept His gift of Jesus or not. If you do, you live forever in heaven. It's plain and simple. If you don't, you live forever in hell. It's plain and simple. Heaven sure sounds a lot better, doesn't it? Man, heaven, we don't, have, we don't have words to describe how incredible heaven is going to be. But it's our choice. It's just like that kid on the video. He really was kind of clueless about life after death. But when they asked him, well, who's, who, who gets to decide whether you go to heaven or hell? Boy, he nailed it right on the head. He said, you do. That is the absolute truth, isn't it? You get to decide. You get to choose whether you're going to cross that bridge or not. You know, I want to, before I open up the altars this morning, I want, to, I want to do something kind of the way we used to do it when I was growing up in church. I'd like for everyone to bow your heads right now. And here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to ask in just a moment, if you need to make sure that you have that gift secured in your life, and you're accepting Jesus as leader, and you're, you want to follow, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. And then we're all going to stand, and we're going to pray a prayer together. And if you pray this prayer from your heart, you're going to receive this incredible gift. None of us can afford to wait a moment longer because we don't have another day guaranteed. So let me pose the question this morning, and as you have your heads bowed, who will be honest enough to say, yep, that's me. I want to make sure. Right now, I want to make sure this gift of eternal life is mine. Let me see your hand right now. Man, there's hands all over the place. You want to make sure that you know that you know. Now I'm going to ask you to stand. All of you know who raised your You know if you raised your hand. That means there's a little bit of doubt there. And that means I, I want to pray this prayer this morning and I want to walk through these doors knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt, man, I'm on the right side of the bridge. The Lord can come back tomorrow, next month, next year. doesn't make any difference. I'm just going to keep following and I'm not going to let loose of my position here on this side of the bridge. I'm going to stay here. And how you stay there is you just keep following the leader. Amen? Bow your heads and, and let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I believe you are my Redeemer. And today I want to turn from my sins. Please forgive me of sin. I believe you died on a cross for me. You paid the price for my sins. And you rose again. And I want to follow you from this day forward. Come into my heart. Give me the strength to keep following and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, 
or call us at 210-657-3578.